0: We're starting a new series today, and the name of the series is Messy, Loving Others Isn't Easy. And the reason it isn't easy is because relationships in general are messy. That's that's just the way they are. Really, we're going to see that today, and I don't have to prove this to you. You know that relationships are messy, and they're hard, and uh, very often loving others Is hard, it's not easy. Yet, what we're gonna be learning in this three week series is that God calls us to love others. So we're gonna read from Leviticus 19, beginning with verse 15 through verse 18, where we're gonna learn how to treat our neighbors. I wanna talk to you about how to treat your neighbor. Now, if you live in close proximity to your neighbors, and and some of you do, you're pretty close to your neighbors. Others, maybe you have a lot of space, and that's good, a lot of space between you and your neighbors. But if you live in close proximity to your neighbors, you probably have some interesting stories to tell about things that have happened in the neighborhood or maybe between you and a neighbor. I remember one day several years ago, we were living in a different house than where we are now, but uh, I went out in the morning, and I noticed uh, saw immediately that somebody had knocked over our mailbox. It was just on on the ground, completely on the ground. I thought, what happened here? Couldn't figure it out. And so I ended up having to put up another mailbox, and uh, I didn't know how that had happened. I found out later, like probably several months later, talking to a neighborhood girl, high school girl, that we knew. And I don't know how that topic came up, where I just mentioned, yeah, I had to get a new mailbox or something like that, and she says, oh, that was so-and-so, her brother had done that, and and I guess she thought I knew, maybe he was supposed to tell me, he never did, and so, and she was one of those girls that kind of told everything anyway, she was like, oh yeah, that was so-and-so, and I was like, really, that was your brother, and she's like, yeah, he, he knocked it over, he backed, he backed over it, I said, well, I never knew that, he never told me, and he was a good kid, he just... And he, I, I guess he got nervous. I don't know what happened, you know. So that was one of those interesting, awkward uh, conversations. Another time, we were having some work done at our house, and so we had a, a, a dumpster out in front, front of the house, the yard. And uh, I found out that one of our neighbors was putting some of his unwanted stuff, like uh, he had put an old bicycle uh, in there, you know, it, just a frame, had put it in there, and some other things. And I was going out there where's this stuff coming from? And I don't remember how I figured it out, who it was, but I actually went to his house, which is surprising because I'm, I'm not really confrontational, but I actually went to his house, and I said, hey, is this your stuff? And said, oh, yeah, you know, sorry about that. And I was like, well, you know, it's it's really kind of full. I said, actually, if you had asked me, I probably would have said yes. You know, I just wish you wouldn't just take it upon yourself. Oh, I'm sorry, man, and all stuff. So it was awkward. You know, but it worked out okay. And not all are, you are gonna think that we're always having confrontations with our neighbors. No, that you know, we've always had good neighbors. In that same house, there was uh, right next to us an elderly couple, wonderful uh, people, wonderful couple. And uh, in fact, we used to uh, we used to subscribe to the to the paper, a newspaper, and we'd read it, and then we'd send it over with the girls. The girls were little, send it over to their house, and they'd read it, and we'd kind of keep up uh, with them and check on them. In fact, the girls loved to take the paper over. They'd go together. Uh, in front of their house were these two tall trees, uh, like, like pine trees, and just right next to each other. And uh, there was just a little bit of room between the trees and their house, the front of the house. So the girls liked to go between that area, between the trees and the house. They would say, let's go through the woods. And they'd just go, th- it's just a little <laughs> spot. Let's go through the woods. And they'd go that way and uh and then they they used to love to go cuz they they would come back with candy. She would give them candy. So, uh one day Lillian told uh, the girls, uh, you don't have to get any candy. You don't if she offers you candy, tell them no thank you. You you don't need any candy and all this stuff and so uh the next time they went, Kelly was little and, and uh Kelly they gave her gave her the newspaper. Her name was Mrs. Cornell. Gave her the newspaper and, and Kelly said my mom says you don't have to give us candy, but if you want to, you can give it to us. <laughs> so I think she got her candy anyway. Uh, yeah, we had we had a, a wonderful experience uh, in relationship with with those neighbors and re- really with with all of them. Well, the Bible has a lot to say about how to treat your neighbor, but that word neighbor isn't limited to our current modern meaning or modern usage. Today, we consider someone a neighbor who lives in our neighborhood, somebody who lives you know, close to us, like I said, in close proximity to us. But uh, in the Old Testament, what you're going to read here in a little bit, a neighbor was a fellow Israelite. To the, to the Jews, a neighbor was a fellow Israelite. Uh, but Jesus took that word and He actually expanded the definition of that word to mean anyone that we encounter in life. Like the man that, that the Good Samaritan encountered. Anybody that we encounter in life is our neighbor. So whether they live close to you, whether they work close to you, whether they're in your circle of, of influence or in your network, whatever networks. We all have different networks. If your parent and your kids play baseball, then all the baseball parents kind of, they know each other, the soccer parents or the school parents or whomever church of course but it goes beyond just our little networks it's anybody that we encounter in life is our neighbor so let's see what leviticus 19:15 says this is in the law of moses do not pervert justice do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great so either way he's saying whether you're favoring the poor or the great don't do that he says but judge your neighbor fairly do not go about spreading slander Some versions say gossip. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, as we look at these verses we've just read from 15 to 18, what do each of these verses have in common? If you just kind of glance at them, what do each of these verses have in common? Well, what they have in common is that they all have the word neighbor in them. They all have to do with how to treat your neighbor. Now, in this section, uh, which actually begins a few verses earlier, I, I just... Pick this passage because it's representative of the entire section. But this section uh, is taken from the law of Moses. Now we have to understand that the law of Moses was made up of ceremonial law and moral law and judicial law. Now some of the things that we see in the book of Levit- Leviticus are part of ceremonial law. I've always uh, thought, you know, when, when I've read through the Bible from beginning to end, the times that I've done that, I always get bogged down in Leviticus. It's all these laws, you know, and I, I kind of struggle to get to get through it. There's, there's a lot of laws, and, and so some of the things that we see in Leviticus are part of the ceremonial law, and they don't extend to us today as part of the church. For example, verse 19 says this, You are to keep my statutes. You shall not breed together two kinds of your cattle, You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear clothing of two kinds of material mixed together. How many of you here are wearing something that's two types of material mixed together? You're in trouble. (laughs) Cotton and polyester or something. It says you're not to do it. Well, this doesn't apply to us. That's ceremonial law. That's for the Jews in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, verse 27, just down uh, a little bit, verse 27 says that men should not shave their sideburns. I'm looking around, see who's breaking the law. That was the law of Moses, and that was a ceremonial law. That did not extend, does not extend to us today. And there are other things that that we read. But what's interesting is in the in the midst of of these statutes, in the middle of this ceremonial law, we have some things that are moral law that do extend to us today. Now, how do we know what's ceremonial and what's moral? Well, it's not really hard to tell, but one of the things that, that helps us to, to see what's ceremonial just for the Jews and what's moral that extends to us today is, is that there are, there are things that Jesus took and He brought into the New Testament and He expanded on them. In fact, many times He, he kind of raised a bar on some of those things. Like uh, when He said, you've heard it said, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's the Old Testament, but he says, but I tell you, if you look, even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. So he said, this is the Old Testament. He brought her over and he raised the bar. He said, but I'm telling you this, even by looking, you're committing adultery by looking with lust. And so uh, there are things that Jesus brought over uh, or one of the apostles, Paul or Peter or James, they brought over from the Old Testament and they apply to the church. And, And this is part of the... Of the moral law, so as we look at this, and I find that interesting. In the middle of these ceremonial statutes, we have a section that's that's part of the moral law, and this is for us today. So, what do these words say to us today? The words that we read from verse fifteen, and even beginning from verse nine uh, to to verse eighteen, what do they say to us today? Well, verse nineteen or verse eighteen is is like the summary of this section where, where uh, we read, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but and here's the summary: Love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quoted that when they asked him, remember the story when they asked him, uh, What is the greatest commandment? and he said, The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the next greatest, they didn't ask him about the next greatest, but he gave it to them. And the next greatest is similar to this, and that is love your neighbor as yourself. So both of these commandments, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself, are taken from the Old Testament, from the law. And uh, love your neighbor as yourself from this verse. So what is this telling us? The, the, The command here... Is love, and it's very important that we understand that this is what we are called to do, what we are commanded to do—to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I know you love yourself; you take care of yourself. You got up this morning, you took care of, uh, of getting dressed, of making yourself look the best you could look. I know you love yourself because the last time you were in a group picture. And they showed you the picture. The first person you look for was you. Because that's what we do. We think about ourselves. That's fine. But God is saying, love others the way you love yourself. And this is very important now. It was important back in the Old Testament. But today in in contemporary society, today in this culture, it's very important. In fact, I would say that in our current culture of divisiveness and rancor, Loving our neighbor is the most important thing we can do. In our current culture of divisiveness and rancor, loving our neighbor is the most important thing we can do. Being angry with our neighbor, being combative with our neighbor, that's what we see. I mean, isn't that what you see when you go on social media or or even in in a face-to-face setting where people are combative with each other, people are aggressive with each other, people are angry with each other, people are are proud of their stance against the other person? You know, there are times that the last thing we want to do is to love our neighbor. We might be tempted to judge him, and I'll say him, of course, could be a her, But we might be tempted to judge him unfairly or to to slander him. I mean, how do we fight against slander now with social media? How do we, if somebody puts up something against you or against somebody that we all know, how do they fight back? That's such a weapon, such a terrible, evil weapon. We might be tempted to slander someone or, or maybe tempted to hate someone in our hearts. Okay, so I won't say anything, but I hate him in my heart. In my heart, I don't like this person. I don't like these people. We might be thinking about a a way to get revenge against someone. But all these things are wrong. They're all wrong for God's people. They were wrong for God's people in the Old Testament. And they're wrong for God's people today. We're not called to that. We're called to love our neighbor. We're not only called to love those that look like us and act like us, and believe like us. We're called to love anyone we encounter in our lives. Like I said, verse 18, when, when we read that here a few minutes ago, I'm sure it sounded familiar to you because that was, like I said, part of the answer Jesus gave when He was asked for the greatest commandment. But He wasn't the only one who quoted these words from the Old Testament in His teaching. Paul also referred to them. In fact, Paul said that these words were the fulfillment of the entire law. Read with me, if you would, Romans 13, 9. Romans 13, beginning with verse 9. Paul wrote this, The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be, Are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Love is a fulfillment of the law. And everything he said is summed up in the words love your neighbor as yourself. This is what's important. He wrote, The same thing to the Galatians. Look at Galatians 5.14. He says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. So all the parts of the law are important to us. We want to keep all the parts of the law, but the fulfillment of them and the understanding of the law comes down to love your neighbor as yourself. This is it. This is it. This is what we're called to do. Love our neighbor. But there's a problem here. There's a problem. The problem is that loving our neighbor sometimes gets messy. Sometimes gets ugly. Love gets messy because relationships are messy. Relationships are messy. How many of you have had problems in your most personal and intimate relationships. You've had problems with your spouse or with your children or with your parents or with your siblings or with your cousins or with your co-workers that you're with every day. You've had some kind of tension there, some kind of conflict there. We all have. We all have because relationships get messy from time to time, especially when we try to love unconditionally. And the reason that it happens is because to love unconditionally, we have to offer grace. Now, where does grace abound? What does the Bible say? Where does, where does grace abound, abound? Grace abounds where there is sin. So if we're offering grace and love, then we're probably doing it because there's some kind of sin there. If we're having to offer grace, then we're doing it because somebody sinned. And so we're, we're offering grace in the context of sin. Of course, it's going to get messy. We're offering love in relationships, you know, in which two two people that are sinners are trying to live together. We're offering love in the context of sin. Of course, it's going to get messy. We'd like to keep it all clean. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had a society where there were no problems? If we had a family family? that had no problem, if we were a family that had no problems, or if we were a church that had no problems, where everybody always got along, where we never had to deal with sinful situations, where all our relationships were always neat and in order, wouldn't that be great? it would be terrible because it wouldn't be real. It'd be fake. We wouldn't be dealing in reality. That time will come in heaven, but for now... Life is messy because sin is messy and relationships are messy. So when we offer love and forgiveness to someone who has sinned, it isn't always applied neatly and in order. And it isn't always received neatly and in order. But the command continues to be, love your neighbor as yourself. Now these verses we've read give us some practical instructions because love is more than a feeling. Love is practical. The truth is, is, and the point is, is that love is an action, not just an emotion. Love is an action, not just an emotion. James, who who wrote the book of James, James was a brother of Jesus. Which, by the way, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? You know, I'm, what what is it like to grow up with? the Son of God, you know, the, who is perfect. So that was, must have been really interesting. But, and yet, he, he, he came to faith later. He came to be a leader in the church, but he came to faith later. Uh, and maybe that's why, because, you know, the brother's thinking like, there's no way he's the Son of God. That's Jesus. I, I know him. I grew up with him. Turns out that was the Son of God and God. So James, in his book, wrote that faith that is not accompanied by action is dead. Remember that? He, he was a very practical writer. They, they, they call the book of James kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament because his book has very practical instructions. And, and like I said, he, he said, if, if you believe, if you have faith, but your faith is not accompanied by actions, and your faith is dead. You can say whatever you want, it's dead. So he was very, very, very frank. And so he also said this in James 2.8. He said, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture... Then he quotes it, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. See, so he's saying the same thing. Look, it's possible that that you think that you're loving your neighbor, but remember faith accompanied or faith that is not accompanied by action, by works, that faith is dead. So we may think that because we read about loving our neighbor in the Bible or because we sing about loving our neighbor or because we agree, yes, we should All love our neighbor. We think we've actually loved our neighbor, but that isn't true at all. There have to be practical steps that we take because love is an action, not just an emotion. So what practical steps are you taking to fulfill this command? Are you forgiving people instead of condemning them? Are you giving people second chances? Are you accepting other people's differences, that they're not like you? Maybe they don't believe like you. Maybe they don't vote like you. Maybe they don't dress like you. Maybe they don't do the things you do on weekends. But do you accept their differences? Do you speak humbly to people instead of proudly? Do you treat people with respect? One of the things that we read in this passage, one of the things we see is that we are to treat people with respect. Respect people. And that doesn't mean that that we lower our biblical standards, or that we lower our convictions. God, God's word is true and, and there are still standards for holiness. There are still standards for uh, morality. And in fact, verse 17 tells us that part of loving our neighbor is to rebuke him when he's wrong. That's part of loving our neighbor. I mean, isn't that part of you loving your children? You correct them when they're wrong. Right, You don't let them do whatever they want to do. You correct them. That's love. So verse 17 tells us that, that part of loving our neighbor is to rebuke our neighbor. It says, uh, rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. And, and the idea there really is to have a frank conversation with him. The idea is not to, to rebuke him in, in anger, to rebuke him proudly, to mock him because he's wrong and you're right. No, the idea really is to have a frank discussion, to keep the lines of communication open with your neighbor. So, uh, yes, we, we want to hold up the standard of holiness in God's word. I'm not saying that everything goes. No, sin is still sin. Wrong is still wrong. And we need to, to hold up those standards and carry the banner for God's word. But let's find practical ways to love our neighbor. Maybe we can serve them by doing something for them. A random act of kindness. When was the last time you did a random act of kindness for someone? Just bought somebody some coffee. What was this for? I was just thinking about you. Really? What do you want? You know, that always raises suspicions. But just just do something for for someone. Maybe an actual neighbor. Go and, and mow their lawn. Uh, maybe an an actual neighbor, go and take them a cake or something. Uh, Somebody even in your family, but somebody that you can do something for a random act of of kindness. We can certainly pray for them. We can tell them, we're praying for them. Is there something that I can pray for? We can keep our lines of communication open with them. and, And we must learn. We must learn to offer grace and forgiveness. And this is important, especially as we try to reach our unbelieving neighbors to the Lord. Now the neighbor in the Old Testament, this passage you read in Leviticus, the the neighbors were fellow Israelites. So they were all the same. They were under the same covenant. But then when Jesus brought that teaching over to the New Testament and When he answered the question, what is the greatest commandment? It's to love the Lord your God and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody asked him, well, who is my neighbor? He told them the story uh, that we now know is a good Samaritan. And the good Samaritan ministered to somebody who was not like him. In the Old Testament, they were all Israelites. They were all under the same covenant. In the New Testament, they weren't all the same. The good Samaritan ministered to somebody who wasn't like him. And so Jesus was saying, look, it's it's not limited to just people who believe like you. And so we have unbelieving neighbors who who don't believe like we believe. But we want to reach them. This is part of what this campaign, the six weeks of Easter is about, that we would pray and invite because we want to reach them to the Lord. But you've heard me say this time and time again and... and um, You've heard me say this and I believe this strongly. I feel like the Lord has, has really dealt with me personally on this. That we won't reach our neighbors for the Lord if we don't love them. If we don't really love them, we won't reach them for the Lord. And we won't love them if we're always criticizing them and judging them unfairly. If we're always combative against people who don't believe like us. We're always combative against them. We're not going to reach them. We won't. If we insist on arguing with our unbelieving neighbors, we might win the argument because I think we have the truth on our side. We might win the argument, but we lose the opportunity to reach them for Christ. So we've got to learn to offer grace and forgiveness. Now as I conclude, God is only asking us To love others the way we've been loved. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And to me that's amazing because. Jesus said that there is no greater love. There is no greater love than than for a man. To lay down his life for a friend. Now that's the greatest love there is. For a man to lay down his life for a friend. What do you call. The love that causes a man to lay down his life, not for a friend, but for a sinner. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God is only asking us to love others the way we've been loved. We've been forgiven. Think of the things we've done. Don't dwell on those things, but think about the things we've done that we've been forgiven. Jesus died for us on that cross. And he died for your neighbor on that cross. That annoying person, that vulgar, that disrespectful person. Jesus died for him or for her. Because he loves him. God loves you. And God loves your neighbor. And I need God's help to love my neighbor. I need God's help. To treat my neighbor the way that the Bible teaches me to treat him. Let's ask God to help us. Love our neighbor as ourselves. As we pray today, uh, I want you to, to say, God, change my mind. May be, maybe we need a paradigm shift to be able to offer love. Change my mind. Bring to my consciousness the people that I need to love. Bring to my mind the people that I need to offer Love. I need to find practical ways to love them and just to pray for them. And, and if they're the ones that I need to invite, to invite them to come to Easter. Because that's love. When you find something good, you want to share it. That's love. So let's ask God to help us do that. Would you bow for prayer? Father, thank you so much for the love that we receive from you every day. While we were yet sinners. We weren't your friends. We had we had no desire to know you, to serve you. While we were yet sinners, you died for us, Jesus. That's love. That's amazing love. Forgiveness. The forgiveness of our sins. All those things, Lord, we're so grateful. God does As we prayed earlier, there are many people in this world that haven't received the the new life, the eternal life, the joy, the peace. Their hearts are broken. Their lives are shattered. There's desperation. There's pain. They're caught in a cycle of sin. And they know, they know, they know they're caught in a cycle of sin. They're not proud of it. Help us to reach them, Lord. Not by judging unfairly. Not by being combative with them. But by loving them. By reaching out to them. By offering our help. By praying for them. By inviting them. By praying with them. By offering grace and forgiveness. Lord, today I want to say to you. Today I want to say to you, God. Forgive me. Forgive me, God, for lack of love in my life, a lack of concern. Forgive me for thinking about myself more than I think about others. Forgive me for judging people who didn't grow up in church the way that I did, and just their lifestyles are different. Forgive me for that, Lord. Teach me.